0: Has Jordan. Now it shakes, Stray gets two! Gilmore on Oh! Stop! Oh, brother! Oh, to Toledo, artist! You get 21.
1: 4.28 to go in the first quarter for the Cow Palace. Here's Barry.
0: Hello, and welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast at harborproxism.com. I am Jason Mann, and joining me, subbing for uh, Rich again, is Adam Cribbley. Adam, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. So we're going to talk about the longest playoff droughts in, uh, in NBA history. Uh, interesting topic. Uh, you you know if if you're uh especially if you're like if you're a clippers fan or uh kings fan or a warriors fan you might not want to listen to this one i I don't want to drive anybody away but uh you know we're gonna talk about some bad times for you here
1: it does get a little depressing for those fans
0: yes but um so we'll start at the top the i guess well the bottom of the top so to speak um or top of the bottom um whatever it is the uh the the Braves and Clippers franchise, 15 straight seasons from 1977-1991, they uh, missed the playoffs. Uh, it started with uh, the Braves being sold to John Y. Brown, who was the uh, Kentucky Colonel's owner, but had moved on to the NBA. Um, he sold um, Moses Malone and Bob McAdoo right away to help Defray costs. And then essentially swap franchises with the uh, Celtics owner, um, and the 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 Braves ended up um, abandoning Buffalo, moving on to sunny San Diego. A um, lot of instability there, and uh, like I said talent sell off because of um, you know of of cheapness or, or what have you, and uh, and then it was sold to Donald Sterling, and things did not necessarily get much better.
1: No, they didn't improve after they after it went to Sterling, and so um, it, there was there was a lot of just uh, you know questions about the the franchise even before this streak started. And so as early as oh seventy three or seventy four, there was talk that the Braves would move to Toronto, and then John Y. Brown was uh, uh, actually when he when he bought the Braves, he was eyeing a run for the governorship in Kentucky, which he eventually became the governor of Kentucky. So not surprisingly, he wanted to move the Braves to Louisville, uh, and ultimately um he he made out of this so he he fly, you know he flips the flips the Braves um for the Celtics and and gets to you know gets to uh to to lead the Celtics and then um you know the the Braves end up as you mentioned in San Diego and then and then in LA for with Donald Sterling so uh John Wright Brown definitely got the best of that deal.
0: Uh, he 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 certainly did. They don't call him getting the best of the deal Brown for nothing. That's right. Uh <laughs> So, uh, key reasons why the um, the streak continued for as long as it did. Um, obviously, Dalvin Sterling being a terrible owner, not to mention a terrible human being, didn't help. Uh, they and you know bad owners are going to be a lot of are going to be a reason for a lot of these. Um, they also traded a lot of uh, draft picks and young players. Uh, the pick that eventually became Charles Barkley, Byron Scott, Terry Cummings, Tom Chambers, Ricky Pierce, and Hersey Hawkins. For, you know, guys who were like fading veterans like Norm Nixon, Marquez Johnson or other, you know, deals that went bad. Um they also drafted exceptionally poorly. Uh Lancaster Gordon at number eight overall in nineteen eighty four, which is of course is one of one of the great drafters of all time. Um uh, Benoit Benjamin at number three in eighty five, um Danny Ferry at number two in nineteen eighty nine, and Bo Kimball at number eight in nineteen ninety being among the uh the, the worst um the lowest point was a 12 and 70 in um 1987 um just kind of a uh, uh just kind of a a bad year all along although it did include um future uh, atlanta hawks coaches uh larry drew and um and mike woodson so anytime i can get the uh, 2004 2005 uh, hawks coach mentioned this podcast i'm definitely going to take advantage of that as you know
1: yeah it's important to fit that in
0: yes um the closest claw they made to the playoffs was a uh, 43 and 39 in the 1979 season um the first year in san diego um would roll be free in there they would have made it in the playoffs if they had actually i guess if they'd stayed in buffalo and been in the east they would have made the playoffs so it's a shame on them for moving yeah it didn't
1: work out well for them
0: no and uh, the longest suffering player was um Benoit Benjamin, 402 games from 1986 to 1991. He was actually traded the year before they uh, broke the streak. Um, the uh, the best player um, uh, during this drought, I would say, was um, Sven Nader, for, who played from 78 to 83. Um, I, I didn't really include Bill Walton because he was pretty much too beset by injuries to be um, considered uh, considered for this.
1: And if if you look at Walton, though, he also that signing gutted the team. So at the time they were the NBA was under a system where if you signed a free agent, you had to give up compensation. And so uh, the Clippers signed Walton as you know, this this huge headliner. Then they had to give up three or four really good players uh, and and left Walton kind of stranded. And then he was hurt. So, yeah, Walton really doesn't uh, doesn't help them in a lot of ways here
0: yeah exactly i mean obviously not his fault for any of that um but yeah i mean that's dealt with in um the breaks of the game um you know and uh and yeah i mean he for you know obviously people are pretty familiar with that the fact that he missed a lot of games but i mean he missed uh three complete seasons out of four and then played only 14 games in the 1980 season for the uh, clippers then he came back and played a couple of partial seasons uh um for the clippers and and then one close to full season before moving on to boston and then and of course in 86 playing a uh a basically full season and leading them to a, a championship so yeah it was not uh it was unfortunately for uh the clippers yeah and i i get you know i i didn't really mention that on the key reasons why i continued but but uh, uh, Bill Walton having uh having all those injuries was a pretty key reason. You know, I'm sure they would have made the playoffs at least during one of those seasons. I mean, they 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 always kind of had a you know up until the you know really the later 80s in the early 80s they always generally you know um most of those years had a, generally like a decent collection of talent. It was just like guys who didn't fit, or it was just too many new pieces, or you know it, or injury here or there I mean it you know it wasn't like they were always bereft of talent um but um it, it was more later in the decade when they just became consistently terrible and awful almost every season,
1: sure, yeah early, I mean early in the decade they were they were decent, but they didn't really reach the depths until kind of the the mid to late eighties,
0: yeah, they were bad in eighty two but other than that yeah sure um you, you know like i said um so um it ended uh in they hired larry brown midway through the uh, 92 season finished 23 and 12 um they were led by danny manning and ron harper they also had doc rivers charles smith and um and, and james edwards um i guess the uh what, what seemed like a low point but ended up actually working out pretty well was uh danny ferry the number two pick in 89 ended up refusing to play for the clippers held out Eventually forced a trade to uh, Cleveland, and um, they got Ron Harper out of the deal. Who, you know, as I mentioned, led them to the uh, the postseason. Was a pretty good player for him uh, for them before uh, suffering a serious injury, and then later kind of reinventing himself with the uh, Bulls. Um, uh, so yeah, that was wh- that was kind of like a you know number two pick not wanting to play for your team. Generally, kind of a low point, but it actually ended up working out okay.
1: Yeah, Damian Ferry, I don't think would have been a, a, a savior of the Clippers franchise there either.
0: Pro- probably not. No. Um. Although he was hyped at the time, people uh, definitely he was. were. Yeah, people were definitely into um into him. So, um the uh, the next longest streak, the Golden State Warriors from nineteen ninety five through two thousand and six, um twelve seasons that started when they uh, ended up. Uh, Chris Weber and Don Nelson uh, ended up uh, feuding. Uh, the team sided with Don Nelson. Chris Webber was traded away after his rookie season, and then they ended up firing Don Nelson uh, not long uh, afterward. Anyway, so um, not not a great decision there. Uh, they also uh, traded away the franchise stalwarts uh, Tim Hardaway and Chris Mullen, over the uh, next couple of uh, seasons, and uh, then they uh, embarked on a uh, on a rebuilding plan. Um, Chris Cohen, it was the uh, owner of the team, another uh, considered one of the worst um, owners in a prof- professional sports. Just made a lot of um, bad decisions when it came to um, hiring GMs, drafts, coaches. Uh, it was all pretty much um, it, it was all pretty much uh, screwed up. The draft history: um, Joe Smith at number one in 1995 in the Kevin Garnett draft. Trading Vince Carter for Anton Jamison '98. Jamison, sort of, a very good player, and uh, you know, even played well for the Warriors. But Carter, clearly, the better player. Drafting Todd Fuller, Adonis Foyle, and Michael Petris in the lottery. Uh, losing Gilbert Arenas after two seasons, after having picked him in the second round, and even guys who were you know pretty big hits, um, like Jason Richardson and Mike Dunleavy. Didn't necessarily, um, you know, those are fifth and third picks overall. We didn't necessarily achieve qu- quite to those levels, at least you know what you would potentially want out of um, that level, especially Dunleavy at, at number three. So,
1: well, the one that really stands out to me is the is the Todd Fuller pick. So, they took you know Todd Fuller at number eleven overall in nineteen ninety six, and even at the time, I I was an NBA fan, but I wasn't I wasn't a super fan at the time, and even at the time, I questioned it that you know, they took a a six eleven kind of you know decent college uh decent college center number 11 and you know of course hindsight 2020 if you look todd fuller is drafted number 11 and then number 13 is kobe bryant 14 is Paige of Stoyakov- stojakovic and uh 15 is steve nash so uh you know obviously the 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 warriors were in position to to draft either of them and they went with todd fuller so it just kind of typifies the uh the decision making that was that was uh, rampant in, in in Warriors land in the 90s.
0: Yes, yes, not uh, n- not so good. And speaking of bad decisions, uh, probably the lowest point for the team. Uh, well, I would say certainly the lowest point for the team. 1936 in 1998. They actually had worse win loss seasons during the stretch, but this was the season in which Latrell Spiro was was suspended most of the year after um, coaching uh, or choking um, his coach B.J. Carlisimo, who had uh reportedly been uh, berating him um and um this really maybe a little bit forgotten about now but this absolutely got like huge national attention i mean it kind of fed into some you know stereotypes uh about the league and about, um, you know, African-American athletes that, um, you know, that, that, that were highly negative and that, um, you know, that definitely a, um, you know, rough time for the league and a, uh, a rough situation. And unfortunately, um, you know, spread some ugliness.
1: Well, it was one that I think a lot of us don't think a lot about now, because since then we've had obviously other, other major issues, um, with, uh, With player conduct and that sort of thing, but but it got a like you said a lot of a lot of mainstream attention and the the fact that it's an African American player and a white coach, um, as well as the fact that Latrell Sprewell kind of fit every stereotype or every negative stereotype I should say that the NBA struggled with in the late 90s and that that its players were you know uh, uh, were uh, cornrows in their hair and, and kind of were were outspoken and not respective of authority. It, it just it fed into all of that. And so it, it got a lot of media attention, though, like you said, um, it it's not thought of a, a lot today.
0: Yeah, and it was, a, it was a very anti-authoritarian kind of time in the culture. Sure. I mean, that was kind of definitely like, there's a big thread of that in popular culture. And I mean, there is to a lot of times in a certain extent, but I think that was really, you know, kind of a peak time um, for that as well. So yeah. Um, uh, it just kind of fed into a lot of things that were going on in society and um and reflected in that. But um uh in better times for Sprewell, they uh the Warriors came close to the playoffs in nineteen ninety six, uh were thirty six and uh forty six that year, relatively close to the playoffs and uh but finished ninth in the conference. Um they led by Sprewell and Joe Smith, coached by Rick Adelman, who was the uh, kind of the 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 definitely the best coach that they had um during that um time um their longest suffering player was Adana Foyle, who played 593 games from 1998 to 2006 he did actually play six minutes during this 2007 playoff run so he made it during uh, that time um the uh, best player i would say during um the uh for the warriors during this time was either anton jameson or jason richardson i would lean toward richardson just because i associated him a little bit more with the uh, warriors but you go either way
1: yeah, and I, he uh, was it he was with uh, the Warriors when he won the Slam Dunk title,
0: right? Yes, yes, he was. So
1: yeah, so I, I mean, I think that that feeds into it too. Is he had a lot more popular press with with that, and and like you said, um, Anton Jameson, I I I think of more with with Washington than with uh, with Golden State. No, Jason Richardson is is definitely the the best player in this era for me.
0: Yeah i i would say so um and then they ended up breaking the streak in dramatic fashion they made the playoffs uh in 2007 they upset the number one seed 67 win dallas mavericks uh fueled by uh, baron davis and they uh, got a midseason trade that shook up the team for, for al harrington stephen jackson they actually uh, finished the last like 20 25 games of the season on a pretty good tear actually i think i performed dallas during that uh, time as well so um so you know, people kind of saw the upset coming because they also had a they didn't uh, the i think the Warriors had beaten them four times that during that season as well so it was just sort of a weird um Situation was the first time that a number eight seed beat a number one seed in in a seven game series. It had happened in a five game series, but not in seven game series. So, um, exciting stuff. Um, the Warriors actually won 48 games the next season, but they missed the playoffs just because the West was really tough that year. And then the uh, they missed the next four seasons before the uh, Stephen Curry era gotten a full swing in the you know whatever the pain the warriors feel for um these years it's certainly um you know i i think they're feeling pretty good right now
1: yeah i'd say they've gotten over the the, the 12-year
0: drought yes um so next uh, 11 years uh, for the timberwolves from uh, 2005 to 2015 and in, in fact it could be 12 years if they miss the playoffs of this season which is a definite possibility. Um, <clears throat> it uh, started uh really just years of bad management uh from um you know they of course they got a superstar in kevin garnett in 95 and then um just had a hard time building around him um just made just the, the joe smith thing where they lost draft picks and a lot of other things that where they didn't really build other stars around him or just had a tough time building stars around him finally um Uh, The guys who were pretty good got old, and they um, decided to trade Garnett in in summer 2007. And then, unfortunately, a key reason why it happened was Kahn (laughs) would be the number one reason. David Kahn, the uh, the general manager who uh, drafted Johnny Flynn and Ricky Rubio back-to-back when they could have had Steph Curry, called Darko, Milicic, Manor, and Hammond. Excuse me, Manor from, from Heaven, <laughs> if I can say those words. Easy here. for you to say. Exactly. Uh, Kurt Rambis as a coach, uh, drafting uh, Wesley Johnson, Derek Williams, uh, picking up, uh, trying to make it work with uh, Michael Beasley. Uh, although a couple of those were defensible um, at the time, but definitely worked out poorly and um, just um, – uh, yeah, just, um, a lot of mistakes during that time.
1: You know, I was surprised that the Derek Williams and, and Michael Beasley, neither one really panned out because when they came out of college, actually, at the time, I remember thinking that, you know, the bulls were, were, were so stupid for, for taking Rose when they could have had Beasley and that, you know, the, the Cavs missed on Williams, uh, and instead took Kyrie Irving. So it's, uh, I, 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 I was very con-esque in my, uh, talent evaluation but i thought for sure williams and beasley were going to be you know 20 25 point a game scorers with long careers just because they were studs in college and then uh not not so much in the nba
0: no yeah beasley especially seemed like um yeah i, I mean I think the talent was a little bit more there for beasley it was more just like the sure. l- lack of maturity and the um you know unwilling you know unwillingness to f- kind of fit a role i mean williams i just think it, yeah it's more of a lacking a position or you know um Uh, It's not as much of an effort attitude thing for him, Um, but uh, when they got Williams,
1: it just didn't make sense either because they had they had Kevin Love. And so Williams actually fit better as maybe a he he wasn't a stretch for, but he could play a small ball for a little bit. Right. I, I don't know, you know, Draymond Green esque as far as size, yeah. different athlete completely. Wow. But yeah. but the idea is he could play a small like, ball four, Dream on Green yeah.
0: who can't pass, I guess, would be exactly
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Or play defense <laughs> or, or, so shoot. No, or shoot fit at yes. all. but
0: otherwise, yes.
1: But I mean, it's part of like an athletic, you know, an a small a shorter athletic guy. Williams could be that guy, but sure. he just he didn't get the time under uh, with with Kevin Love in front of him. And then just he he just wasn't wasn't as good as uh, as yeah. I as I thought he was gonna be. I,
0: I don't think it was gonna work for him, but it definitely was not a good situation for him either. So, um, and I guess he's been okay in New York. So, um, so 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 good for him there. Uh, the lowest point would be 2010, uh, 15 and 67, the first year under Kurt Rambis, uh, Kevin Love coming off the bench, and uh, despite clearly being the best player on that team, um. Their closest call to the playoffs was 2014, where they were 40 and 42. They had an expected win loss percentage of uh, 48 and 34. Issue they they've just really had some really bad performances in uh, close games, especially late in games. It was kind of a weird team because it it was kind of getting clear that Love was leaving the team, and there was a lot of pressure to um, be good, but um, they just you know uh, couldn't pull it off. they actually were forty-four and thirty-eight in two in two thousand five, which was the last season with Sam Cassell, Atral Speedwell, and Flip Saunders as the coach before he came back later as coach and GM uh, after the David Kahn era. Um, longest suffering player was Kevin Love, who played three hundred sixty-four games. Corey Brewer very close to that mark um the best player uh was either be kevin garnett or kevin love i mean garnett clearly the better career player but it didn't have as long of a stint with the wolves during this period as as kevin love did so um and they haven't broken it yet but getting andrew wiggins and carl anthony towns uh will will probably help
1: yeah you, you would think so
0: yeah yeah oh and anthony bennett of course
1: Right. Of course, the uh the third number one overall pick that they, they, they had on their roster for a short time.
0: Yes, yes, indeed. So um so uh so what do we have next?
1: Well the the Sacramento Kings had a couple runs of uh of of pretty uh you know, some pretty trying times. Um, and the they had a stretch of ten seasons, uh, beginning in nineteen eighty 1980, uh, nineteen eighty seven and lasting until nineteen ninety six. And the, the Kings had they had they had the coaching carousel that other other franchises struggled with. They had, um, you know, six head coaches in that ten-year stretch, but I think the the Kings also had a really really ra- a rash of really bad luck. So they had this this really uh, interesting situation in that in drafts that tended to be weak and not have a lot of talent, they had high picks, uh, and in drafts that were that were much stronger, they drafted in the seven or eight range. And so in 1987. Uh, David Robinson went number one. Scottie Pippen went number five, and the Kings picked sixth, and they took Kenny Smith, uh, who was who was a, you know serviceable player. When they did have the number one overall pick in 1989, they took Purvis Ellison. Uh, it was a weak draft, but anytime you're uh, you're picking up a franchise uh, franchise center, and his nickname is Never Nervous, uh, it's not you know it doesn't bode well uh, for the franchise. And so then, uh, again, in 1990, you know, with Gary Payton going uh, number two behind Derek Coleman, the, uh, the Kings drafted seventh. And, and on and on, uh, maybe the most glaring example was in, uh, in 1992 and in 1993, the Kings drafted seventh uh, in both seasons uh, in, in two really strong drafts. 1992, of course, uh, Shaq goes one and Alonzo Morning two. And then in 93, Chris Weber went number one and Penny Hardaway went third. And the the Kings came out of those drafts with Walt Williams and Bobby Hurley, who, uh, you know, who who I loved personally, uh, you know, as a as a kid growing up. But but neither really were franchise changing. So the Kings really really struggled with that kind of combination of high picks and weak drafts, and uh, and you know low picks picking seventh or eighth in strong drafts.
0: Yeah um you know what's interesting about the kings during this time is they were actually under 500 for 15 straight seasons from 84 to 98 they made the playoffs uh three times and between during this um during the 10 seasons in which they did not make the playoffs they um never won fewer than 23 games so they were never like really really awful sink to the depths they were just merely like you know bad to really bad um during that time
1: yeah they managed to to avoid being you know avoid getting in the playoffs but also avoid uh finishing poorly enough to get a high pick except when you know never nervous Purvis was on the board and you can't pass on a on never nervous
0: Purvis. you you can't pass on Purvis. that's that's just the number one rule of yeah i mean they were 27 55 that year so they weren't that is not usually the type of record that will get you number one pick they by then the draft lottery of course was in so they they won it that year but um, but yeah, it's uh, it's darn shame.
1: Well, if you look at their low point, that's probably not even their low point. Um, in 87 88, they went 24 and 58. Uh, but you know, maybe more depressingly, it was a, a short lived run for Bill Russell. So, Bill Russell came back to, to coaching after after taking some time off, and uh, he lasted you know 58 games, left middle midway through the season uh, and, and never, never coached again. He, uh, he remained in the front office in Sacramento for a bit, but, but he never coached again. And so, so Russell kind of has a, uh, you know, kind of sad ending to his, his coaching career, um, in, in Sacramento in 87,
0: 88. Yeah. He stayed as an executive for a, another year, I think, but yes, it, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, it, I think the game might've passed him by at that point. So, um yeah. not ideal but uh but yes, it is sort of sad that uh you know that's the way that he uh left the game he He was better as a coach in his uh Seattle years and of course you know as player coach of the uh of the Celtics as well but um it, it is kind of weird that Bill Russell is associated with other franchises other than the Celtics. It just seems like kind of wrong, you know.
1: Right. No, he he shouldn't have. You know, he he definitely shouldn't have gone to Sacramento at that point. It, it, like you said, the game had passed him by, and he was uh. You know, I, I although I guess if you look at their roster, when you rely on, you know, your best player by far is Otis Thorpe, who was you know best known as kind of the, the third or fourth wheel on, uh the the mid '90s uh, Houston Rockets teams. Uh, when Otis Thorpe's your by far your best player, probably have some issues with roster makeup too. So yeah, but. Thorpe averaged uh, you know went for 20 points and 10 boards a game and had 8.1 win shares but after the season he was traded away and uh, you know soon after the, the the Kings rebuilt around their their awful draft picks. so yeah it's it, it was it was a low point but it was a pretty sustained low point it was uh, a lot of seasons of you know not the worst team in the league but but not threatening the playoffs
0: absolutely. Um. Yeah. Longest suffering was would be Wayman Tisdale at 370 games. Lionel Simmons also was uh, very close uh, behind him.
1: And so Wayman Tisdale actually came over in a in a good trade. Uh, I'm an Indiana Pacers fan, and so it was not a good trade for Pacers fans. But uh, but Tisdale came over from the Pacers in a in a good trade. And he's you know if you look at the best player in the stretch, he's probably probably their second best player. Uh, in this in this drought, but their best player by far is uh, is Mitch Richmond, and so Mitch Richmond came over from Golden State in a trade for Billy Owens. Uh, the the Kings drafted Owens third overall and then traded him, I think, before he even played a game for them uh, over to Golden State, and uh, and so Richmond was their only All Star in this in this uh, this drought. He made the All Star game four times, and he was he was a you know multi time uh, All NBA uh player and and he was easily there easily their star in this drought
0: yeah uh yeah future off hammer i mean um uh, yeah one of the best players to uh, you know pretty much always play for um a a bad team i mean he did end up with the lakers later on in his career but yeah not uh uh a you know quite a talent yeah that was not a good trade for golden state that was a that was a bad decision
1: yeah. And again, I was a Billy Owens fan, of course. So there you go. Um, again, <laughs> you, you, know, you have met. a knack
0: for enjoying bad basketball players. Who- I did not. Yeah.
1: Now Billy Owens had some, he had some knee injuries, I think, but no, I, I do. I have a knack. I, you know, it's this, it's this, uh, love for the, uh, you know, six, seven to six, nine kind of tweeners, I guess, that, that, that must, uh, must be attractive. But there you go. Yeah. Um, uh, when they finally, so when the Kings finally broke their, their streak, they, they kind of did it with a whimper. So they, they broke their streak, um, with a record of 36 and 46 and snuck into the playoffs despite being, you know, a couple, five games under, uh, under 500. Uh, and, and really they, they were, they were still pretty bad, uh, that season, the was a was a the expansion season so the toronto raptors and vancouver grizzlies were new that season and they could only split their series against the grizzlies they went two and two uh, giving the grizzlies two of their 15 wins that year so uh, again though they broke it because of mitch richmond richmond was third team all nba that season uh, and was in the top 10 in pretty much every offensive category including scoring and free throws and threes and and everything um but then uh, after making the the playoffs in 96 they promptly missed out again in 97 and eight uh, and then uh, soon afterwards they traded Mitch Richmond for Chris Weber and then started making their their run in the uh, in the early 2000s kind of with their core of Chris Weber and Vlade Divat and uh, and Pasyakovic. So um, yeah they, they 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 kind of you know broke the streak uh, for a short time and then and then really uh, built those improved, squads that that we all finally remember from the early 2000s
0: um so next we have the dallas mavericks from 1991 to 2000 uh, 10 seasons um they decided to rebuild in the early 90s after their kind of promising late 80s team uh sputtered out uh, roy tarpley had uh had drug issues, um, and uh, they traded away um, Mark McGuire for an aging Adrian Dantley and you know, other issues they um, uh, they um, uh, they lost that left shrimp, you know, et cetera. So um, so by early 90s, they had kind of sputtered and they um, and, and the rebuilding plan actually went okay. I mean, they drafted um, Jim Jackson and uh, Jamal Mashburn and Jason Kidd. Uh, in consecutive years looked like they were going to, you know, put together a pretty decent team and then um Mashburn got hurt, Jason Kidd and Jim, and Jim Jackson uh had a feud and all were quickly traded within um about a year of each other. So not a good situation there. Um, it it may or may not have involved Tony Braxton. Um, (laughs) but
1: yeah, there's some controversy about that. Uh, Jamal Mashburn actually just came out and gave an interview about a year ago and said it was, you know, Tony Braxton, that's kind of overblown, but there's, you know, when there's smoke, there's fire. And I think that, uh, that there were definitely, I mean, you're, you're talking about three young, um, you know, high draft picks that were all, all, de- you know, all at least at the time destined to be superstars, and so there were some egos clashing, and I, I you know, whether it was Tony Braxton or not, there was, uh, there was definitely more than just on court, uh, on court problems in Dallas at that point.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, the lowest point would be 1993, where um, they began the season four and fifty-seven um, during, and, and Jim Jackson was a rookie, but he had he held out most of the season. Uh, finally, came along. Um, near the end they finished 7 and 14 to avoid uh complete infamy winning 11 games for the year um they also started off 3 and 40 in uh 1994 after uh they'd gotten Jamal Mashburn um they um they ended up with slightly more wins uh that 13 wins that year so the, I believe that is the the worst two season stretch of um of all time i i believe those mavericks have the worst um srs in history of negative uh, 14.6 so um uh yeah so that is uh that, that was bad team um they um uh and actually uh the year that jim jackson was rookie i um I saw him in a hotel elevator in uh, Boston. I took a trip with my mom to Boston and I'd just gone swimming and I went into an elevator with my mom and there were a bunch of tall guys and I recognized Jim Jackson.
1: Nice. He, was, was, uh, so he was holding out. He wasn't injured at that point.
0: No, no. Yeah. He held out. I mean, he by then he has just started playing. So he, he, he had played a few games and they were playing in Boston that time. So yeah, he wasn't hurt that year. He just, he held out for most of the year and then, um they came to a contract agreement you know when, when whenever you know w- before the last with the last month of the season or so you know to play so gotcha um yeah but yes so it was my he, he's one of the the first famous your, people your brush out. with fame yeah i you know i was a big ohio state fan living in columbus oh yeah so, so i it, it was really exciting for me and um so yeah, so I was a those about. are
1: those are some great Ohio State teams. I remember you know being in tears basically when Jackson, uh, Jimmy Jackson, hurt his uh, what did he hurt a knee or ankle or something? I just remember him being in a boot and having to watch from the sidelines. But now those are some good Ohio State teams as well. And oh, yeah. and he was yeah he was he was good. he was a superstar. And actually he ended up having a a pretty good and in fact you know Kid Mash obviously Kid was the best of the three, but Mashburn and Jackson they all had good careers. None of them were none of them were bust they just they didn't work together in dallas
0: yeah i mean mashburn got hurt um yeah i mean jackson kind of just had a weird like he kept getting traded for, all the time mm-hmm. uh for whatever reason um like he played for like 12 teams but yeah i mean they were 36 and 46 that first year um of the you know of the three J's and people thought it you know like i said it, it had the potential to be you know a, a great young core but whatever reason it didn't uh go so well um the longest suffering player was a uh, derrick harper who uh played in 307 games jim jackson was very close um to that mark uh the best player during that time was actually michael finley who was there from 97 to 2000 you could also argue jason kidd but he didn't last quite as long um there uh and he was not as dysfunctional as michael finley or he was more dysfunctional than michael finley michael finley was as far as i know not dysfunctional and in fact Helped lead them into the promised land once uh, Dirk Davitsky emerged along with uh, Steve Nash. Uh, Don Nelson became the coach and Mark Cuban became the owner. And then they um, broke into the playoffs and then became, you know, perennial, a uh, very good team. And, of course, eventually won that championship. So um, a couple highlights of our highlights, uh, or depending on how I would define it, is that AC Green broke his consecutive game streak for the Mavericks during uh this time and then Roy Tarpley returned from his drug suspension in 9495 after missing i two or three straight seasons i think three but then unfortunately was banned again from the league uh soon after uh so um so yeah that's about it for the uh unless you have anything else regarding that that mavericks uh team
1: no that about covers it. were uh, there was a, it was a pretty dark time for uh for Mavs fans there for a bit
0: Yes. Yes, it was. So yeah, they, they, they've won a championship since so the, I feel like if you win a championship afterward, like it, you, the, the memories of that are not nearly as painful. So it erases it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it led to, and, and, and you, I mean, you can argue, you know, the, the, the pain of the Mavericks, you know, having to rebuild and then that falling apart and having to rebuild again, it did, did lead to a, you know, next you know, led to Dirk and it led to excellent things. So, you know, that, sure. that pain was worth it, I guess you could say. So, um, Next, we have uh, the Kings appear again, unfortunately. Uh, they 2007 through 15, nine in a row, it could uh, go to 10 if they missed the playoffs this year. They're doing all right, but um, definitely it's but missing playoffs is a strong possibility. Um, and it started with the breakup of the early 2000 teams that we talked about before. You know, Divac, uh Weber, Sojakovic, um basically um, – I mean, those guys got older, and, and um, and they, uh, the also the ownership, the the Maloof brothers, uh, start, uh, basically lost most of their money and couldn't really afford to uh, run the team. They ran on a shoestring, shoestring budget. They team nearly moved to, um, moved to Seattle uh, or moved to a group that was going to sold to a group that wanted to move it to Seattle, but they managed to uh, keep it locally um which we'll get back to in a moment um drafting was a problem um lottery picks on um uh, Spencer Hawes, Jason Thompson, for debt Thomas Robinson, Ben Lacklemore, and Nick Skouskis. uh Spencer Hawes has been and Jason Thompson have been okay players, but the other ones have been um, bust for the most part uh one strong draft pick Tyreek Evans who had a really strong rookie season didn't quite emerge as expected and um Boogie Cousins has a lot of talent but has had issues with uh maturity and getting along with uh teammates and coaches um clashing with most of his coaches in fact um who for the most part have not been stellar since Rick Adelman left um more than 10 years ago um and um since those years and in, in recent years they've had their um new owner um Vivek Ranavive and um and he basically has been a, in, known as an incredible meddler and uh the Kings have lacked uh, stability in their front office for the last uh, two or three years um and in their coaching and um you know people listening to this these, these are recent history so we don't need to go through every move but it has uh not been not been stellar
1: no, I, I I think that uh that the the end of the playoff drought you know might be this year, but I think more likely it's 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 going to be extended.
0: Yeah, I yeah but they're close enough where it's hard to tell. Um, sure, they, they might still have some moves in them as well. So, um, and I would say the um the lowest point, of course, uh, almost uh almost leaving town. Um, you know, um, but uh, the uh NBA. Board of Governors uh, voting to uh, to keep them in Sacramento and and going with uh, ending up selling the ownership uh, of the team there and getting a new arena, all that good stuff. So that all worked out pretty well, but um, it was looking bad for a while. Um, the closest call to the playoffs was uh, 2008, where they finished 38 and 44. It was the run, final year of Ron Artest in uh, Sacramento. Uh, also, Mike Bibby being traded that year. He was the last uh, of that classic. Um, Kings era to uh, be traded I guess Brad Miller kept on for a little bit a while longer as well um longest suffering player would be Jason Thompson who played 514 games um and the best player would I would almost certainly be DeMarcus Cousins um although advanced metrics really like Kevin Martin um more than I mean I remember that they kind of did but um he actually has more win shares than DeMarcus um uh for their time with the uh, Kings which I thought was Interesting. Not not that I would agree that Kevin Martin's a better player, but it was just interesting reminder of like, oh, Kevin Martin was really effective scorer for a while. He was. No, he
1: was. Uh, he was, he was a very good scorer, and, and and like you said, the advanced metrics love him. But I think you're right. I think Boogie Cousins is. Yeah. He's definitely the best player there. Uh, also,
0: I do think that Cousins took a couple years to really, uh, de- you know, like his last two seasons, he's been really, really good. Before then, you know, there were issues with defense and there were issues just just, uh, you know, the, the shooting efficiency wasn't very good. So it, it, it's sure. taken him a little while to round into the player that he's become. But even, even before then, I don't know if I would take have taken Martin over him, but, you know, there's uh, context there that's important. Right. Uh, anything else regarding the these Kings?
1: Not really. you know it'll be interesting to you know when we redo this podcast in five years, where they're where they're out on the list.
0: Yeah, there you go. Ho- hopefully, not at fifteen in a row, because that, w- that would that would uh, that that would maybe. not make me happy. No, I don't like it to see anybody in pain.
1: No, except Clippers fans, but you know, oh no, I don't have a problem with
0: Clippers fans. I I, I hope <laughs> everyone, I hope everyone is happy.
1: That's right. So so up next we've got the uh, we've got the Utah Jazz or sorry the New Orleans slash Utah Jazz. Um, who started out their franchise with nine straight seasons not making the playoffs. And they, they, they got off to a really bad start, um, you know, in hindsight. They were New Orleans was awarded an, an expansion franchise in 1974. And one thing the ownership group wanted to do was to make a big splash, to try to attract people uh, to, to come to watch games uh, for this New Orleans team. So before they had a coach or any players or even a mascot or a nickname, they traded seven players for Pete Maravich. Um, so there were, uh, let's see, two players, uh, two number one draft picks, and three number two draft picks. So among the number one draft picks they gave up uh, was David Thompson, uh, who never signed with Atlanta, but regardless was part of the trade. And one of the second uh, second round picks was Alex English. And so seven players uh, netted them Pete Maravich, And then they uh, then they figured out a coach and other players and uh, and a mascot and eventually decided on the New Orleans Jazz, but the the Jazz were uh, kind of infamous in the late 70s and early 80s just for trading away all their first round draft picks. And so uh, 1975 is their first uh, is their first or sorry 1974 is their first draft pick as a franchise, but they didn't they didn't take their own. First round draft pick until 1981. So for the first eight years of their franchise, they uh, they didn't they either didn't have a first round pick or they swapped picks or whatever. So they kind of fit that model of trying to trade away. You know, as you mentioned with the Clippers, trading away young players and draft picks and trying to instantly be good. Um, So before they before they played a game, they had traded away uh, you know two number ones for Pete Maravich. And another number one pick for uh, Neil Walk, who was to be their their franchise cornerstone center, uh, but is really now best known as the guy who was drafted after Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in 1970.
0: Yeah, um, it it was really a um, you know, and and Maravich has sort of always been a a guy who. incredibly skilled um you know it wonderful to watch um but as far you know didn't really have a lot of uh team success in the nba um and part of that was a little bit of rosters and i think part of that is just maybe he was a little bit of a hard guy to play with and you know um and, and probably the la- lack of defense probably i would imagine was also a significant issue for him
1: yeah and, and in fact he had his best seasons when. uh when the the management specifically surrounded him with talented fit, So he, um, he either won or was close to the lead in the scoring title uh, in the late 70s. And part of that was because the, uh, the Jazz got a pass-first point guard and a defensive-oriented forward, small forward. So they kind of took pressure off Maravich, and he could just score. Um, but that wasn't ma- management's initial idea. Their initial idea, and if you're talking about lowest point of the franchise, um, not necessarily a specific record so much as a free agent signing. And so the, uh, the jazz were trying to find another high score to pair with Maravich in the backcourt, hoping to kind of, you know, to, to equate to modern day, kind of a, a, a late 70s splash brothers with two, you know, exciting high scoring guards, uh, that could lead the team. And so they signed Gail Goodrich, um, who was a 33 year old coming off a 20 point season, he was two seasons, I believe, at this point, or three seasons removed from being a first-team All-NBA. Uh, but about a third of the way through the season, through his first year in New Orleans, he blew out his Achilles. And he was never really known as the fastest player, the quickest player, but he lost whatever was left, and, and he was he was kind of a shell of, him, of his former self. Uh, but the, the biggest problem with that signing wasn't that Goodrich didn't pan out, but it was that they cost the, the Jazz two more first-round picks. And so ultimately for uh you know for for Gail Goodrich the the Jazz lost out on Moses Malone and uh more famously uh, Magic Johnson. And so with the potential of you know getting Magic Johnson and or Moses Malone the, the the Jazz end up with neither but they they do get a really old shooting guard named Stumpy out of the deal. So you know it's it's kind of a wash in the end. There but, you uh, go.
0: Good old Stumpy. I so was that pick later traded for Moses Malone? Was that how No,
1: that, that the pick was weird. It was um they actually had, had picked Moses Malone, but if they in order to to get a, another pick to get Goodrich, they had to basically um
0: Was it was it like an expansion draft pick?
1: It was. Yeah, okay. it was it was All actually right. the ABA the ABA draft. So it was right. it was complicated, but basically they had to choose either you keep Moses Malone or you let him go and uh and get another first round pick so you could entice the the lakers to give up gail goodrich and so they they chose to give up the pick um to give up on malone and uh and and get goodrich
0: that was not a great decision yeah
1: you know anytime you can get gail goodrich you have to do what you (laughs) have to do i
0: guess oh boy um yeah i I, this blew me away uh, that you that daryl griffith in 1981 was the first jazz player drafted with the jazz's first round pick the first seven were traded away that's that's pretty amazing
1: yeah, I mean, we make you know, um, NBA history kind of makes fun of Ted Stepien and the and the Cleveland Cavaliers for for trading away all these first round picks. They actually create a rule that you can't trade consecutive first round picks. Well, that could have just as easily been you know, whoever was running the New Orleans Jazz because they traded seven straight number ones, um, giving up you know, and they and they were terrible. So these are we're talking top top three, top five picks year after year after year, and in return the Jazz are getting you know kind of veterans and and you know uh players that just didn't t- didn't turn around the franchise
0: yeah not, not, not so much so yeah the the longest suffering player was um aaron james who played 356 games uh rich kelly and pete maravich both uh came close if you go at minutes maravich uh wins by a, a long shot um rich kelly's pain was spread out over um two um stints with the uh, jazz both early and uh late um aaron J- Aaron james i picked uh also partially because he um like he only ever played with the jazz he played for five seasons so i feel like he never knew the promised land of playoffs with another team so i feel like that gives extra um you know that's extra pain for me
1: yeah no they they they, they were really never that close to the playoffs it's not like they they missed uh they missed by a you know a hair or a game or two. And in nineteen seventy six they they won thirty eight games, uh, but they missed the playoffs by eight games that year. So they really never never even got close. Um although if you look at their best player near the end of the era, right right near the end of the uh the drought, they managed to trade for Adrian Dantley. Um they gave up Spencer Haywood Spencer Haywood went to Los Angeles to the Lakers. And Adrian Dantley, who'd bounced around uh, a couple with three or four teams in his first few seasons, ended up and becomes kind of the cornerstone of some some pretty decent early uh, early 80s uh, jazz teams. And, uh, you know, he played four seasons in this stretch and, and had 41 win shares. So he was easily far and away their best player, uh, leading the league in scoring um, in, in 80, uh, I think, 82 or 83 and so he's, he's easily their, uh, their best player.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And he um, also actually leads them. No, go ahead.
0: No, no, you go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, actually leads them to their, uh, you know, we talked about breaking the, the playoff droughts. He actually, uh, helps break the playoff drought in, uh, in 1984. Um, you know, for, for the jazz, fortunately the, the NBA expanded the playoffs going from 12 teams to 16. So they had a better chance. But the Jazz also posted the franchise's first ever winning record after after ten years of finishing under 500, and uh, and Adrian Dantley was their star. He uh, went for 31 points, six boards, and four uh, four assists per game. Had 14.6 win shares, uh, and he was also helped out. They had they had, they had added a, a few players. Daryl Griffith, who you mentioned, their 1981 uh, first round pick, scored 20 points from uh, at the shooting guard. And then Ricky Green, their point guard, uh, handed out nine assists per game. But one of their new, uh, the 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 new players, I guess, that would become kind of a, a cornerstone of of some good Jazz teams later. They had a second year center, seven foot four, Mark Eaton, who led the league in block shots, uh, four point three uh, blocks per game. And so they they'd kind of set some of the the pieces in place um, with Adrian Dantley, trying to surround Adrian Dantley before they, of course, went in a different direction.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so we are down to, uh, the, our, our last, uh, pick is the, uh, again, the Golden State Warriors, uh, nine seasons in a row from, uh, 1978 to, uh, 1986. Yeah. It, it kind of all broke up after, you know, the Warriors, of course, won the championship in, uh, 75, 76 they were a 59 win team that was upset in the playoffs but you know very near championship they had some promising young players like um like uh, robert parish and gus williams um and um and um oh um uh for, from the lakers um uh jamal wilkes yes thank you jamal wilkes yep. uh geez um, you know, so, so, um, you know, they went from being a team that like, seemed like it could be, have a chance to be a, um, you know, a, a dynasty or at least a really strong, have a really strong run to a team that fell apart very quickly.
1: They did. They, uh, they had, you know, as you said, won the title in 75 and they still had most of the pieces in place in, in the 77 season. And, um, you know, as we'll talk about in a little bit, they almost made the playoffs, uh, playoffs that year. But uh, or in '78, I should say. But they uh, they really had problems with you know, they had a few bad trades, a few bad drafts, and it was the late '70s and early '80s, and so they had uh, some players uh, that had some bad drugs, and so the, the combination of drug problems and, and bad drafts and bad trades, which we've talked about, really hurts them. Uh, the the first The first piece to, to fall was that Rick Barry, who was the star of those of the, the title winning team signed a, as a free agent with Houston kind of shocked the franchise um, the fans didn't expect it it was kind of out of nowhere and at the time of course players um, switched teams as compensation uh, like we talked about with Bill Walton and uh, John Lucas comes over to Golden State but you know he's a he's a he's a good guard uh, but he was traded a few years later and then went into rehab um, the the big the the worst um, deal that they made though was in 1980. When they traded Robert Parrish, who was it's hard you know it's hard to think of Robert Parrish as a young uh, a young center, but if you watch him from the late seventies, he he still ran like a forty year old man. Um, but they traded Robert Parrish and uh, a 1980 1st round pick, which ended up being Kevin McHale, to Boston, and received the number one pick in nineteen eighty, uh, Joe Barry Carroll. Who every time I say that I can't help but think of the the nickname that he's he's always given, which was Joe barely cares. Yeah, I think that's Bob
0: um, Bob Ryan nickname I believe.
1: Is that who nicknamed him that? Yes. I couldn't remember who had done that. Um, and so they have you know, and actually they he he ends up not being horrible. Uh, they they yeah. Carol has a couple decent seasons, uh, but they try to build around him, and of course that fails. They uh, they traded for World Be Free, um, and also traded for Bernard King. Uh, he played played for them for a a part of a season, I believe. And then went to Michael, uh, they traded him to the Knicks for Michael Ray Richardson, who was banned from the leagues for drugs. So they had, they had a a myriad of, uh, problems. Um, but they're, they had, they had probably two low points in both 79, uh, 80 and eighty forty five. They had really bad seasons. Um, in 79-80, I thought it was interesting. the The team fired Al Addles, who'd been a uh, the coach of their championship team. They fired him midway through the season. Uh, their their top players were Robert Parrish and uh, a guy named Sonny Parker, whose uh, son uh, Jabari plays for the Bucks now. And so, with those two as their as their star players, they they went 24 and 58. And then a few years later, uh, in 80-45, they only won 22 games. Uh, and their their top player then was uh, Purvis Short who was kind of a small forward. He's actually listed in basketball reference as a shooting guard, small forward, power forward. Uh, So he could, he could do a little bit of everything. And he added here, he scored 28 points a game uh, that season, but didn't make the all-star team. And actually, uh, again, thanks to basketball reference, only two players have scored more points in a season without making the all-star team that year. Uh, One was world be free. And the other was surprisingly Dominique Wilkins. So Hmm. both averaged, um, you know, around 28 points a game and none of them made the all-star team. That's
0: interesting. Uh, Dominique is a bit of a surprise.
1: Yeah, I was surprised by that too. And I, it's not that he missed many games or anything. He just, yeah, didn't make the all-star team that season. So, um, but, uh, the, you know, several low points in this, in this run for the warriors, they almost made the playoffs in the first year of the drought, uh, 1977, 78, but they finished a game, uh, game out. Um, in 1982, they won 45 games but were seventh uh, in the West. And at the time, the NBA only took six teams from each conference and they finished a the game out again. So unlike some of these teams, they actually were, were very close within a game or two of uh, of making the playoffs. Um, both their longest suffering and best player is the same person. Uh, it's Purvis Short, who I mentioned, the s- shooting guard slash power forward uh, of the team. He played 580 games uh, and he... He was easily their best player he had uh, you know, basically forty win shares in in that stretch and so he's uh he's easily their best player um in these very kind of mediocre teams
0: yeah um he 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 was yeah um sorry um yeah it's interesting how the warriors were um this is definitely by far i think the best of these teams that we've talked about like they actually had you know like some decent you know they they had a couple of like decent years where they just didn't have to make the playoffs but um you know they they were less of a disaster I think than most of these other the other runs that we were talking about they just it was more just kind of like an unlucky stretch of like oh they you know they just didn't happen to to make it but they definitely could have made it twice and they would have only had like you know a three or four year drought which is you know fairly normal obviously in basketball history
1: well and it's they they suffer kind of in this in this short window between the NBA expanding after the uh the ABA merger and the but the playoffs not expanding and so the playoffs was only 12, uh, only included 12 teams, um, until 84. And, uh, and so they, they just, they, they finished, you know, it was the 13th or 14th best team in the league, or at least the seventh best in the West, uh, a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. So when they, when they do finally make the playoffs, um, they break their streak, they, uh, the playoffs are expanded to 16 teams and they finished tied for sixth in the West. Uh, and in fact, in their first year in the playoffs, they, they even won a playoff series. They beat the Utah jazz that year, uh, with, uh, John Stockton and Carl Malone in their, in their second season together. Um, Stockton and Malone, uh, made the playoffs in both of their first two seasons and lost both times in the first round. So they didn't, uh, they, you know, we, we think of Malone and Stockton as kind of leading teams to the conference finals, or at least out of the first round. Well, their first two years, they lost, uh, and including, you know, breaking the drought of this of of this Warriors team. Um, and that Warriors team had a had an interesting lineup. They they had George Carl, uh, who was in his first year with the team, uh, though he he didn't make it through the entire second season. And, and they had a you know kind of a, a mishmash of players. There they had Joe Barry Carroll at center, who you know we talked about earlier as the number one pick in nineteen eighty. And they also had uh, point guard sleepy Floyd. And, um, second year, uh, forward guard, Chris Mullin. And so you can kind of see there, the, the beginnings of those, uh, you know, run TMC teams, the, the teams would kind of bring the warriors, at least some short-term success. Uh, they were in place by the, by the mid to late eighties, but, and with Chris Mullen coming, the, uh, kind of that era is, is beginning.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, only had two all-stars in this stretch, uh, Rick Barry and, uh, and Bernard King. So um uh I mean they they did have some good players, but yeah, but of course, most of those players didn't last for very long, which was kind of the part of the problem of uh for for them in this run other, other than Purvis though,
1: yes, other than yeah. Purvis Short, the rest the yeah. rest of it was a revolving door i mean if yeah. you look at their second best player in the era, it's probably Robert Parrish, and he was only there for for two and a half seasons, so right. yeah they they had a it was a revolving door there, and um but they were never they were never horrible, they just were kind of middling and not quite good enough to make the the, the smaller playoff field.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, um, I will quickly go through the other teams, um, uh, longest playoff dress. Cause I thought that was interesting. Um, w- with, with eight are the, um, the wizards from or the, then, then bullets from 89 to 96, the nuggets from 96 to 03, the grizzlies from 96 to 03 and the Hawks from 2000 to 07. Um, the calves, um, having seven season gaps are the Cavs from 99 to 2005 the Knicks from 1960 to 66 the Sonics from 68 to 74 the Bucks from 92 to 98 and the 76ers from 92 to ninety eight. I thought it was interesting that the Bucks and 76ers had the exact same one since I've always thought of them as having very similar like windows for in the 80s and early 90s for the fact that they had this exact same stretch of missing the playoffs I thought it was interesting that is interesting uh the piston having six the pistons have had six twice uh currently from 20 from 2010 to 15 so it could reach seven and also from 78 to 83 um the bulls from 99 to 2004 the celtics from 96 to 2001 the trailblazers from 71 to 76 it was their expansion seasons they of course would win the championship the next year Um, Having five are the Suns, who have done it twice. uh, A current streak from from 2011 to 15 could obviously reach six. 71 to 75. um, The Nets from 87 to 91 and 2008 to 2012. The um, the Bobcats from um, 2005 to uh, 2009 the uh, Rockets from 70 to 74 the Pacers from 82 to 86 those uh, sad years for you the Raptors from 09 to 2013 um, and then with four are the 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 first version of the Hornets from 89 to 92 the uh, Magic from 90 to 93 uh, they could tie that if they miss the playoffs this year Uh, And and the Heat from 89 to 91. The uh, Lakers are currently on a two-game playoff drought streak, which they also had from 75 to 76. It will very likely be a three-season streak um, at the end of this uh, season. And the Spurs have never missed the playoffs more than one season in a row, which is pretty amazing. That's amazing. So... um, Adam, why don't you let anyone, everyone know where they can uh, find you on Twitter and anything else you want to tell them about yourself.
1: You can find me on Twitter at Adam Cribley,
0: a D a M C R I B L E Z. And everyone should uh, follow Adam. He's a great, uh, he's a great basketball follow and a, a great guy. Appreciate you uh, very much for, uh, filling in for it. I know he appreciates it as well while he, uh, while he, he gets some stuff, uh, going, but, um, yeah, uh, everyone, uh, Thanks for uh, checking us out. You can find us on Twitter at Over and Back NBA, uh, also on Facebook at Over and Back NBA. Um, find us at hardbrokeproxism.com. We are part of the HP Family of Podcasts. You can find both our podcast and uh, the HP Network uh, podcast on iTunes if you uh, would leave us a rating and review. We would greatly appreciate it. And uh, Until next time, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll back again soon.